Hello, and welcome back to Stand Partners for Life. This is episode four, all about auditions. very excited yeah wait excited about talking about auditions it's so much more exciting than actually taking them maybe it's more fun to talk about freak out but yeah talk about past highs and lows rather than live them now um you know we can rest on our laurels at least during this uh podcast i don't think so i'm I'm gonna tell some bad stories (laughs) (laughs) humiliating stories (laughs) well it's a subject that i know so many of you are really interested about because it's how you get yourself into an orchestra and get a stand partner. And it's, I think, you know, for too long, it's been shrouded in mystery. I know after I took an audition or two, I was able to step back and say, okay, now now I know basically what this is and what's happening, but I, I wish I'd known going in. So I, that's kind of where I want to start to talk to you about how you look at auditions now, having taken a bunch and listened to even more. And I'll, I'll do the same thing. How do you think that's changed for you? The actual taking of an audition? Yeah, or how you look at the whole process. Um, you know, is, is there an analogy that you would use for an audition now or, or kind of a frame of mind that you go into an audition with now that, that's different from how you did when you were first starting? Well, I think, I know you have a good analogy. I think for me, once I started sitting on audition committees and I was still taking auditions you know that was kind of illuminating I I think I used to I used to really first of all think you know go out there and just be so convinced that everybody else was amazing you know and I I think there's we all know how that feels to play you know you go to a competition any situation where you see other people walking around with their instruments and you're like my god you know look at that guy he's carrying his violin really confidently he must be incredible I know even just seeing someone else in the hall yeah you just look at them and you think yeah I'm sure they you know they look like they play a great Brahms concerto or (laughs) or you you know you hear them tuning god forbid you actually hear them playing something you're like my god you know they can tune really well or you know when you're really nervous these things get so blown out of proportion it's ridiculous yeah I really remember just thinking everybody is just amazing here and then when I actually sat on a committee you know, the truth is that an audition now, I really, I think it's maybe 10 to 20% of the people who show up are prepared and have a good chance of advancing. Yeah, I, I would say the same. And I know that sounds harsh, but uh, it, I think it's just the truth that probably for only that percentage of people, is this the right audition to take for them at that time? Because it, it's, it's so hard to prepare a big list at the level that it needs to be to, to actually win. And so they're just, there, you know, are only so many people in a geographical area at a given moment that are going to be able to step up and do that because of all the work that goes into it. So yeah, I'd agree with you 10 to 20%. Yeah. And so I, <clears throat> and I guess that helped. I mean, once I, once I thought of it that way, then I suppose auditions seemed maybe a little bit less daunting or at least I, I realized that I shouldn't waste my nervous energy on looking at those other people. And I was able to get more nervous about myself, which, you know, may or may not be super helpful. But 
Well, so do you feel like now, because you have, you know, you've taken auditions in the last year, two years, three years, um, do you think a lot less about the other candidates now? No, I probably still waste time thinking about how other people are playing. I mean, especially because the last few auditions I've taken have been um, in, internal, or not internal, but, um, you know, I, I've been an internal candidate. So I start, you know, in the semis or you finals. You mean auditioning for the LA Phil? In the LA Phil a lot. So then that l- the only auditions I've taken in the past few years have been LA Phil ones. So in that case, you know, I start in the finals. You know, of course, at that level, the people who are there, you know, they've they've made it. They've passed through um, several rounds already. So, yeah, those those are strong candidates. And so it is hard to shake that feeling of, you know, hearing hearing a few notes in the hallway and, you know, having your heart feel like it's freezing over in your chest. Well, so then what ha- what has changed <laughs> for you? then? Uh, thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> what has <laughs> That's changed? That's what we're for about. Me? Um, I guess I just uh I guess I'm I am better at thinking about what I'm doing. You know, there uh, there's a slightly higher sense that I I can't control what they're doing and I can control what I'm doing. And even if that just is something I tell myself to try to calm down, it you know, the the message it gets in there at a certain level. Yeah, there's only ever one person on stage at once. At least the way they do auditions these days. I heard in the past there would you know, they'd line two or three people up on stage. We've heard, like, you know, in somewhat recent years, we've heard that about um, what, the trumpet audition in Chicago. Oh, really? That happened. It was sort of like trading off excerpts, wow. which, yeah, scary. That's um, kind of like a, a pose down in bodybuilding. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd never seen a pose down, but I believe you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that that's not how we do it. So. Well, let's say that you had to take a an audition with a preliminary round today or not today but you know these days let's let's say 22 year old akiko or 24 year old i forget when you took your first audition i was 20 i think i was 22 that's right no i was 21 my first year at juilliard my first year of my master's okay that spring i took uh, st louis symphony was my first audition well you know since you've had success from very early on with auditions maybe not a lot uh, would be different for you now <laughs> but if you were going into a screen well it's really now, you know it really did change so I mean the first couple auditions I would say I thought you know I, I had my teacher of course is Glenn Dictorow and um and he was not only helpful I mean he was the, you know I would say the reason that I was able to have success getting a job and who was he at that time he was the concertmaster of the New York Phil so he obviously knew his business better than anybody <laughs> and I really owe him so much for that but it so you know I had him but I I took those auditions and I thought you know I did I did pretty well so my first audition St. Louis I got to the the, the final there were 10 of us there were four positions and I thought you know hey the odds 40 percent chance I'm gonna get this job <laughs> it's like you bought 400 lottery tickets exactly and I somehow I still managed to lose but um and I thought you know gee I, I played great you know, I, after I remember thinking, yeah, you know, I, I didn't even, it bothered me that I didn't win the job. That's my first audition. And I really, you know, and then um, I forget what my second one was. I don't think I did as well. Maybe it was New Jersey Symphony. And then I, I thought I should really should record myself. It's unbelievable that I didn't think of that until I know. that moment. <laughs> I always think somehow, that too. You know, I have one of those like just to date myself, um, you know, a mini disc 
mini disc. A mini, yeah. Who, I'm sure 80% of the people listening right now don't know what a mini disc is. I remember those were the thing if you well, were really you know. serious. Yeah. And I, I, I got one. serious about it and I, I, you know, filled up mini discs with my preparation. I think I still have some of them lying around, you know. And, and actually, when it was really strange, I remember thinking, no wonder. I didn't get uh-huh. <laughs> these jobs. It was like edgy, very edgy playing. I rushed. You know, I sounded brilliant. Like, you know, the, the sound was brilliant. But I did all kinds of things that were like, you know, it, it made complete sense to me. And at that point, from that point onward, I I was really careful to to use my ear as much as I could to to try to improve and and i think it did you know i think it helped and I you haven't dream stopped of recording yourself i mean it's not not like no. you figured it out once and for all right then and you no because I, mean, I feel like i'm constantly you know that's the reason you play for people and it's like playing for someone all the time if you've got yourself recorded and and it trains your ear you know to but then again you've you got to be careful i mean we can get into this more later but it's like you if you get so critical you get used to playing through stuff and being you know and then listening back and being like this, 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 and this, and this, you know, you you have to learn also how to play without that that little critical voice constantly going. Mm-hmm. And that's something I worked on with. Um, so you know, eventually I I decided to get a uh, performance coach because I thought I needed help that I was unable to summon in my practice room by myself. You know, and and it, it did help. And you know, the fact that I I had that little criticism going constantly in my head was not helpful in the actual moment of taking the audition do you want to share who the performance coach is or is are you going to keep that your secret so that yes I'm... i don't want anybody else to <laughs> benefit no it's noah kagayama who's um the author of the bulletproof musician blog yeah and so you worked with him in what capacity I would play for him a little bit. We you know, we skyped because he he's in New York and, and we're in LA, obviously. And um and he was just great. I mean, he would he would watch me play. He'd say, "Think of this while you play. Try to you know don't listen to yourself playing the way you usually do. You know, listen to the pulse. Listen to the, you know he he had different things that I would have to focus on instead. And, and um even little exercises that were very difficult, like um like singing inside my head while I was playing. Oh, and, like, I didn't paying know that. attention to that instead keep your mind on an ideal that's happening and, and, and keep your focus less off of like little little glitches or you know hiccups here or there that really probably don't matter in the end but you can get very hung up on in the moment yeah no i know someone i hope to have here on stand partners for life uh if he can get himself out to la I'd love you to talk to him here. skype podcast him no we're doing this all <laughs> all live <laughs> in person um, here I, I was lucky that noah was a childhood friend we knew i knew him from suzuki camp in ithaca when we were seven or eight well and i've one. told you right that noah was there for my first memory <laughs> right? slip that's right the first and so memory i always slip. i joke with him that he became a performance coach and you know nerves specialist after watching me self-destruct at age 16 <laughs> on the national stage yeah that was <laughs> at a competition world. so he's we, we always laugh about that just uh, let me ask you one more question before you uh, turn me loose. How have things changed since you've been able to listen to and to, to judge so many auditions? How have things changed in my audition taking? Well, or, or just how you look at auditions. The first time you sat on a committee, I'm sure you had some revelations like, oh, wow, this whole time I thought 
this is what mattered and now well, that I sure, hear all I these mean, people say that I tell people all the time now like the high D in Don Juan you know you, I would practice that thinking that note is it if I don't hit that note this whole excerpt is just trash <laughs> that's you like know? your triple axle it's the triple axle you fall you're done get out you know you stink but in the end that's really not true and it, it's not just that note I mean I use that excerpt as like a sort of the obvious example of of a piece where you, you're just so focused on literally one note of that excerpt that you know you, you you just get very your mind just gets really hung up on it and and it can be hard to play it at all just because the entire time you're only thinking about that measure it's like measure 63 or something right <laughs> you know you've got 62 measures before it that you're <laughs> not paying attention enough attention to so um so that's i would say play that excerpt there's so many things about that excerpt that have to happen that have to just sound great and that note is pretty much the least of it somebody plays that excerpt with great pulse good volume you know um i think steady steady tempo is the one thing that don juan seems to always be missing Mm. um i hear a lot of rushing i hear a lot of harsh playing because people are sort of you know they're real tense about it yeah um if you can avoid those pitfalls that high d means really nothing and if you do you know if you sound edgy and you rush and you know, your pulse isn't steady, and then you nail that high D, it means nothing, you know. I mean, I think we all know that sort of practically, but but the fact is that you're actually listening. You know, if you set, if you just take yourself out of that, out of the spot on stage, you imagine sitting, what do you want to hear out in the audience? You know, you want to hear somebody who just sounds pretty comfortable, and that's the, the hardest thing to do, but, you know, sounding comfortable doesn't mean nailing everything you know sounding comfortable means putting the the listener at ease so i would i yeah. would say that you know that's something i always try to keep in mind while i'm practicing for auditions now just really think you know how do i make the listener kind of forget that it's an audition maybe it's a performance instead yeah i like that i the word i often tell people and try to think of myself is trust and if if the committee if the listeners trust you then they'll they're going to laugh with you rather than at you because i've actually i've almost burst out laughing when a great player an obviously great player made kind of a dumb mistake in an audition it's because i'm already on their side and when something silly happens like yeah let's say they fell off the fingerboard on that high d i want to laugh out loud like you know this is great you know i'm just i'm being entertained i I know i like this person you somehow have to get into the minds of the committee people right it's like we all of us as committee members we can we know that happens we can imagine doing that ourselves we tell ourselves we would never rush we would never right you know <laughs> cut off a note <laughs> play harshly you know we never do that we don't have tendencies we you know sure now and then we'll fall off the fingerboard well you know and so yeah. i think those are the things that you have to you have to sort of access that that person in the in the listener who who says you know i don't i don't tend to do this or that and you know and i think that's in general the tendencies are things that we look for right well we've talked about how especially lately i think of auditions more and more like blind dates which actually i haven't been on that many although i i had a quite a string of them when i uh, had my first job in saint paul <laughs> I, I never had a blind date you never did never i had a, a whole string of them because you know it was my first job I was 22, and I think several of the ladies in the orchestra you were, took you it were upon very themselves eligible. to eligible. <laughs> if eligible just means single, I, then you know, I, I was I, that. When I before I moved to 
Chicago, you were described to me as the most eligible bachelor in Chicago. <laughs> you mean in the Chicago Symphony? No, it, the, it, <laughs> maybe that was what she meant, but she said Chicago. People tend to abbreviate the orchestra that way, just Chicago. <laughs> but no, I, I had several blind dates and, you know, I wish I had thought of them at that time as kind of sort of audition tests because when you get yourself ready get yourself ready for a blind date you put on certain clothing you know you you take care right there are a lot of details that you look to but what you don't necessarily realize is that when you walk into that room the person who's looking for their blind date they're going to know within five seconds whether they're interested or not or at least after a very few words you know they don't have to you're harsh glad i didn't go on a blind date with you well we basically did i mean when we you know you didn't like me the first time around necessarily <laughs> but when we met back up in chicago and yeah when i saw you again it was fairly instant and we didn't have to you know i didn't have to learn what your favorite color was or any of that stuff it was just you know we talked for 10 seconds and it was like yeah i want to I want to know more. I want to. Okay. You know. I see that. So I think playing wise, it's like that. You don't have that long to show what class you're in. Right. And and I have a whole thing about being as someone who likes, really likes picking out shoes and clothes and no, <laughs> well, that's, you know, maybe that's a whole other topic, but it's, when you're getting ready for an audition, you know, the, the very early initial stages when you're just picking your Mozart concerto, your romantic concerto, maybe even your Bach, finding what shows you off to your best advantage. You know, I think I, I always hear from people, it's like, well, I don't want to wimp out and I don't want people to, I don't want the committee to think that, you know, I'm, I can't play technical stuff, you know, so I'm not, I'm going to stay away from um, what's some, you know, something they think is too easy, Mendelssohn, which is ludicrous because Mendelssohn is so hard, but you know, something like that. I'd rather play Brahms than Mendelssohn. So they pick a really hard concerto. On purpose because they, they think, want, yeah. I don't want to wimp out, you know, what if, you know, if they're, if the, they think, if the committee hears a great, what's, what's a concerto that you think would be considered easy? I mean, I'm saying, I've, I've, I've heard people say Mendelssohn, you know, if, you know, if I play Mendelssohn and somebody else plays Brahms, they're gonna they're gonna like the Brahms person better. That's what they say. Right, or Prokofiev, you know, Brook. I mean, I guess people don't play Brook that much for auditions, but sure. I've I've told people to if they say that's their most comfortable concerto. Uh huh. Yeah, I think that the idea that you have to play something that you're not comfortable with because you think it you know looks flashier. It's it, <laughs> I hate sounding like an airhead here, but it's like, you know, I'm gonna wear this like super flashy outfit you know, on these stiletto heels that I'm not you know, I'm going to sort of teetering around. But, you know, I, I want them to be impressed, you know, with, with this outfit I chose. And that's, you know, I think in, that's obviously wrong. I think if you're a girl, you think you hear that and say, no, you know, you want to wear the, the thing that you've worn before that, you know, gives you or maybe it's new, but it gives you so much confidence when you put it on. Right. You don't want people looking at you and saying, yeah, that's not you. Yeah. You, you just want to go and you just want to know the impression that that gives when you play that you just you there's no doubt in your mind that that this piece projects you know your your abilities and your and your sound and it just that it's going to draw people in because yeah as nathan says you know people make snap decisions a lot of times in auditions and and that's that's a wrap on auditions a lot of times that it's you know you don't have a lot of time to impress the committee but that's sort of a fact of of life yeah it's just it's human nature and especially when you can't see the player the committee members have their eyes closed, let's say, and your playing comes out of silence. Um, they're, they're basically noticing your outfit 
and they're they're putting you in a category like you're this class of player or this lower class or ooh, this undesirable class. <laughs> what would you say are the things that you notice? Like you you have your eyes closed and suddenly someone starts playing their concerto. What what are the things that would instantly mark them as as great or not great to you? Well, not great. The two instant not great things are pitch and sound quality. And sound quality can encompass a, a whole bunch of things, but certainly playing with too much bow pressure or too close to the bridge, whether intentionally or unintentionally because of nerves, you know, either of those things can produce a harsh and scratchy sound. I mean, edgy is one thing. And I know when I'm listening, I always try to make a little allowance for people who I know are going to be on edge for the situation, but that needs to dissipate pretty quickly, or it leaves me thinking, you know, maybe this is just what they think a sure. good sound is. And I think edgy can't um, creep into pulse problems. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think to me, like, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of things be deemed acceptable or even great, but rushing, rushing the pulse has never once been deemed no because it's just not something that acceptable yeah. great soloists would do as a matter of course you know great soloists sure. may use rubato and that's, so that's a good point so you know we're sitting there kind of wanting to imagine that we're hearing someone playing with our orchestra like a like a soloist right and so th- those are a couple of the things that instantly not great there are it, it's harder to <laughs> to tell a whole committee instantly that you're great, but you know, it can be done. They've done a study, you know, with violin sound where they, they took some great players and told them you can't use any vibrato. And it was very, very difficult to tell great players from not so great ones. I mean, nobody was bad in this study, but some were great and some were just okay. So without vibrato, it was very difficult. And um, as soon as you allowed vibrato, then, uh, you know, some of the listeners could even pick out individuals. Uh, so you think vibrato, I mean, yeah, vibrato makes a big it's difference. A big, at least in terms of putting people in a certain class. I mean, if I hear somebody with a soloist's vibrato and they're using a good sound and they're playing in tune, I mean, the sky's the limit at that uh, point. I mean, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Duh. <laughs> <laughs> well, but if somebody comes up, they're just an amazing player. You know, I'm not even. I just st- think they're amazing. <laughs> no, but I'm talking in the first ten seconds only. I mean, if someone has a start like that, and that's their default natural vibrato, they don't even have to do. You know, I'm not saying. But they who's, have to be I mean, who's super nervous and using their very best vibrato in the first ten seconds? Well, very few people. Yeah, very very you know, few. I think I think it's a big mistake. I mean, we've already said it, but I think it's a big mistake to say this person's vibrato is pretty tight. You know, I don't think they're. Oh no! Uh, in, they're great. My experience listening to auditions tells me too. Yeah, you, you got to make some of those allowances and and let people develop you know, in the first minute or so. But if somebody is the type uh, not to get nervous in, in terms of letting it show in their vibrato and their sound quality, that's a big advantage. Or if they're nervous and it's just not showing in those categories, then they can give the, you know, they can put themselves in that top class. And then, you know, I'm not saying those people always win because there may be any number of details that they <laughs> neglect and poor decisions, poor taste or whatever. I think that's something that 
that definitely has gotten better for me is um, hiding my weak spots. And I think audition success is hugely about hiding your weak spots. Yeah. So, what, uh, and how has that played out for you? Not that you have to well, reveal so, all okay, your weaknesses. Okay, so for me, but... you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, you know, when I found out I'm very edgy when I'm nervous. And it's still true. I'm very edgy when I'm tense. That's, I mean, that's probably the most common. Sure. But for me, it's effect, like, though. I think that when I'm not edgy, if I can really kind of get in the zone, not be edgy, not be nervous... It can sound like great playing, you know, for... <laughs> well, I, I think it is, but... Well, you know, I... Is that... And that's an insecurity I have. I mean, I th- I'm quote-unquote good, good at auditions because I kind of figured out, I think I've, I've sort of figured out how to sound great for 10 minutes at a time. You know? <laughs> Maybe 15, but you know... <laughs> that's that's amazingly hard to do. Sadly, I know there's going to be people out there who go, see, I told you, it's, it's all it's all a sham. <laughs> and uh, and part of me will not disagree with that. You know, it's, it's, you just, you gotta just maintain the illusion for, you know, you gotta keep it together for those 10 to 15 minutes. And Well, let's say specifically the edgy aspect. Is that a, is that a matter of, do you actually just take a little bit off the dynamic you back off the sound a little bit i'm just so aware i work on my pulse so much because i know that the big thing that i'm gonna do is start cutting a little bit of shaving a little bit of time off here and there and that's it just nothing bugs a committee more than somebody who does that Mm -hmm. so i know that even if i sound a little nervous i make a few mistakes that's okay but i just have to make sure that the framework is is completely stable and um, I think that I think that helps committees. I think that helps convince them that I'm going to be like, a, you know, a good investment, so to speak. <laughs> I'm aware. They want to know that someone's well. very aware of uh, because, you know, I mean, it, someone can be a, just a great player if they're, they're not aware of their surroundings, what's going on around them in an orchestra. They can just be a terrible colleague. And, and we're very, you know, attuned to that kind of thing. Yeah, and I should say too, I, I've often heard it said, well, the audition process is so unnatural. You know, you, you put people in these pressure situations and then on the job, it's nothing like that because, you know, it's it's not the audition. You're not playing by yourself. But I, I know from experience, I get really keyed up in performances. And, you know, I certainly don't expect everyone to play on audition day their very best. But if someone's nerves are going to cause them to be a completely different player, then those things are going to manifest themselves on the job too, to a certain extent. And that's, you know, it's the auditions, the best way we have so far to, to probe that a little bit, to see what's going to manifest and in what ways and to what degree. Yeah. And I think I, I sort of think the more you separate, if you just think of the audition, what you have to get done almost in bullet points, you know, the clearer your goals, the, the more successful you're going to be in an audition. I you think, mean what you need to show the committee? And I hate to say, I'm, I'm not saying, you you have to get to the point where you're also playing musically and you're able to knock down all these goals. But it is it, it is a real bullet point kind of situation. Yeah. You, you've got you to check the boxes, convince them that, you know, this is this is going to happen, this isn't going to happen. You know, the better you are at, at concealing what you what you know to be your weak spots, you know, the better it's going to be for you. In the audition. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about just being a great player. You've got to, you know, really address some specific things. Yeah, because there are requirements for playing in an orchestra and fitting in a section that don't exist for the soloists. Sure. And and to be honest, you know, there are some, to... 
auditions where you know you might hear about someone getting an audition winning and, and you think how did that how did that happen you know and it's <laughs> honestly they avoided the pitfalls you know yeah um and does it result in in maybe slightly weaker players getting hired now and then yeah it does i mean it you know it's not not a perfect system and we'd always like the best the very best player who showed up but a lot of times it's about someone who was able to to not do certain things did we ever win auditions that way probably <laughs> we'll never know <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and that's the other thing that just, you think, I won this audition because I was great. And then you're sitting on a committee, you're like, uh, or people were real tired that day and they just didn't care anymore. And they, <laughs> you were the one. They were like, all right, fine, you know, let her in. Or, <laughs> but we all like to tell ourselves it was because we, we triumphed in grand fashion. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll take us to, if we can stand it, uh, the opposite of triumphs. I want us to go back to our very early auditions and maybe pick one where we did something or went about it in a certain way where we just look back now and really slap our foreheads and say, how could that have happened? You want me to start? You go first. <laughs> well, I'll, my very first audition was for the Philadelphia Orchestra, and I took that when I was at my in my fourth year at Curtis. And Philadelphia is where my father grew up. That's where my grandfather was in the orchestra, and so there was just some external some external factors there that probably weren't helping. And strangely enough, I did really get myself into good shape for that audition. I practiced more for that than I ever had before. I understood that it was going to take a lot of time and a lot of organization. And luckily I had seen a good friend of mine, uh, Bertrand Tang. He had just gone through that and won a viola spot there. And I'd seen what he had done. So I tried to copy that process. And I probably, you know, I was maybe used to practicing two or three hours a day. Well, for, you know, these two months before the audition, I practiced close to five hours a day. Played mock auditions and took couple lessons with people in the orchestra who were very generous with their time and still <laughs> now I played the preliminary round and that was those were tough circumstances back then nowadays you know we always hear about people getting to the hall and they'll give you the the list when you walk into the hall they'll say the committee wants to hear these seven excerpts in this order so warm up on them for an hour um, but I know at that audition in Philadelphia it was there was none of that um, I walked out on stage and not knowing what I was going to play first, hoping that I was going to play a concerto first, but they just said, uh, Don Juan start with, and <laughs> that was a dry That's hall mean. too, back then the Academy of music. And, um, so yeah, I managed to pass that preliminary round, but in the semis, <laughs> I, I don't know I, what I was thinking in terms of some of the, some of the decisions I made, but. I know that early on... That seems like a success story, actually. Yeah, but wait till the semis. Because <laughs> <laughs> and, and at that point, I thought, oh, well, you know, I've, I've often heard the first round is the hardest. So <laughs> I, I don't think I coasted exactly. But in that semifinal round, um, they asked for the cadenza to my romantic concerto. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and for those... Listen, I often get asked by people taking auditions, like, do I really have so to, no you know, one it told says you? the first movement? No. Wow, that's, you know. Yeah. It's Curtis way for you. 
but people ask, you know, do I really have to, it says first movement with cadenza. Are they really going to hear the cadenza? And I always say, I don't know. <laughs> well, do you, I just ask people, I, I either tell them the story or I say, do you want to put in two months of work and then show up and have them ask for it? And you haven't prepared it to the level of your other stuff. Do you want that to happen? No. And so, yeah, I had to play the cadenza to the Brahms concerto and it was far below the level of the opening and, or my Mozart concerto or many of the other excerpts. So I, my confidence was not great after that. And then they asked for, uh, maybe not directly after that, but pretty soon after uh, it was the last movement of Brahms four, but they did not ask me to start at the beginning of the excerpt. It was the second line instead. So that was one mistake. I had never practiced starting these any other place but the beginning. So that freaked me out. And then I had a terrible fingering picked out. It was all up on the G string. It was the kind of thing where if I really nailed it, I thought it was going to be really impressive. Actually, in hindsight, now I know it wouldn't have been. An example, do not try to... Oh, yeah. I mean, why would you pick something that is only going to come off one out of every 10 times? (laughs) And even that one time, it's not going to be that impressive. You're going to be like the slightly chubby person in the <laughs> in the skin tight spandex and it's like no even <laughs> that's not a yeah. tasteful outfit under any circumstances so yeah that was terrible and so when i didn't advance and called uh william de pasquale the late william de pasquale for comments since i had played for him i said um oh so yeah can you tell me why i didn't advance and just said you played like a pig that's all i can say nice he mentioned the Brahms. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was that, that was a failure of planning, and then just some pretty bad circumstances exposing my bad plan. Yeah. So what do you have a uh, do you have something from early on? Well, I mean, like I said, my very first audition, I was now I'm still embarrassed when I look back and think of how it probably came off, and I wasn't totally aware of how I sounded, and I was. I'm sure it was that exact player they did not want, you know, the the edgy, rushy person who thinks they they sound great, you know, terrible. I'm embarrassed thinking about it, but you know, so that I, and pretty quickly I kind of figured that out. I mean, I don't I don't think I have a specific. I mean, I definitely anytime you get a little cocky, is that's the sign you're probably check what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, I, I the other thing comes to mind is after I got in here and there were a couple move up auditions. I took four move-up auditions before I got into the first violin section. It took me that many just to get out of the seconds. And I, I you know my story about, I've told Nathan many times, as a Pekka Salonen. Who <laughs> he, was music director. Who was music director. And he um, he heard all those auditions. He probably got really tired of hearing me play Mozart three. Ah, the ah. committee was probably really tired of hearing me play Mozart three. And, you know, I'm sure I sounded fine in those auditions, but I would just, I don't know. I think I, I, I remember being like, oh, the auditions, you know, in five days, I probably better start looking at that list. Like, what was I thinking? Like, who did I think I was? You know, I really was like cocky and it screwed up my chances. You know, I would get there and I would play for people like the night before, which is real helpful, you know, and they'd be like, you sound good, but you don't really know this excerpt. Like, what do you mean? You know, it's fine. It's easy. It's just a bunch of, you know, a bunch of eighth notes. It'll be fine. And um, I think Beethoven 9. I kind of screwed up that way. The scherzo or the slow movement? Uh, the slow movement. You know, it was like, this is the slow movement, you know, whatever. It's just a bunch of sextuplets. <laughs> like, what could go wrong, you know? And then it was like, you're not phrasing this at all. What was the other one, I think? Uh, the, you know, Brahms' first piano concerto excerpt. I um, 
I thought this looks pretty easy, you know, and I <laughs> played it for somebody and they're like, that's not at all the right tempo. <laughs> this is like, you know, 18 hours until the audition. I was like, oh, okay, I'll just fix the tempo. Um, and some of that, the problem is that some of that makes you relaxed on stage, you know, feeling like I know this, you know, I, I got this. And then some of it is like, no, you're just gonna give this away because you're, you're not putting in the work. So anyway, yeah, that's probably something I'd like back some of those auditions and then as a pickup after each of those auditions. So it was three auditions that I didn't win in a row. And he, he, he said the exact same thing to me after each of the auditions was, which was, um, you know, excellent playing plenty of opportunities in this band in the future. And after the third <laughs> time, I kind of looked at him like, you're joking, right? Like, you <laughs> don't remember that you said that exact same thing to me and I walked to my car as I, as I was walking to my car I burst into tears and that was a low point uh, that was terrible that was probably the only time I've really sobbed after well, an audition and then look his words came true so there there were yeah. plenty of opportunities in this band <laughs> here I am today but uh and you know any of my New York Phil auditions they all felt like <laughs> because there were several <laughs> there were several and uh and, and I'm sitting here as a member of the LA Phil today so that should tell you that i not i never succeeded i didn't even advance i never got past the first round i was always like the anonymous loser who was unable to to execute you know schubert scherzo you didn't make it to the rose ceremony when they were i was so far from the rose ceremony i was like i was red shirted from the moment (laughs) i appeared yeah it was just uh any of those auditions makes me feel really bad like I you know I should have pulled it together but um and there there, there are those times when you want a job so bad that you actually can't function properly yeah the it's dangerous to take an audition that you really feel like you have to win because you can you can do everything right and it's just not in your hands at the end it's in the hands of the committee and if we're talking about you know ourselves individual people and all the struggles that go into putting together a a presentation. I mean, each of the committee members has his or her own issues too and struggles and those all play into the group decision that gets made. Then you throw in the the music director, the wild card of the music director. Do we have to, we have to give credit to Max Ramey for his line? Yes, Max, who of course wrote our theme music here for Stan Partners um, and uh, still a member of the viola section in the Chicago Symphony. Yeah, what what did he say uh, when he was he was asked to serve on a viola committee in Chicago. Um, and that, that audition, I think, no one got hired. So I asked him afterwards um, how the auditions had gone. And he said, well, you know, the, the older I get, the better I was. So, And <laughs> I, it, it took me a second line. to think about it. And I just, I, I, I love that line. It just, it's perfect when you think about what the committee's thinking. They're sitting there going, yeah, I, I would never have done that. I was, you know. Like maybe uh-huh. now I've lost a little of my luster, but back then, you know, when I got in here, I was, whew, I was smoking. Well, I would love to devote a whole episode to just what happens behind the screen, on the other side of the screen during committee discussions and how decisions get made, because that's fascinating and frustrating too. And it'll, it'll help out those of you who are taking auditions. So this is probably a good place to, to leave us for today our uh, thought process at least for auditions and a couple of the dicey moments in our past <laughs> hopefully hopefully our failures are your entertainment yeah well that's what this is all about 90 percent failure 10 percent success and mm. 
in real life and in the podcast. But if you're hopefully and, not in our marriage, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we could survive ninety percent failure. <laughs> well, if you're enjoying the podcast, and so many of you have already been generous enough to go to iTunes and leave a rating and even a review. If you're enjoying what you hear, or even if you have some constructive criticism, please uh, leave a rating, leave us a review. It'll help your friends and our friends find the show. That's the single biggest thing you could do for us, as well as to subscribe and keep listening, because we love talking to you. And let us know what you'd like to hear about. You can leave it right there in the review of the show, future topics for us. And we're going to come back next week and take a look at conductors, specifically young conductors, what we have to say to them and what they've taught us in the past. Thanks so much. Yeah.